Hello, and welcome to Madison Church, to our online audience. I'm Stephen Feith. I'm the founding pastor. And as I was just talking about, next week is our membership lunch and MC 101. Maybe that's what we're going to call it going forward. Madison Church 101, since membership lunch, it may be like, oh, I got to sign up, or is it only for members? No, no, no. It's like, a, we'll, we'll just talk about what's going on at Madison Church. And um, one of the things that we're going to talk about next week is the history of our church. If you don't know, we were planted in 2014. Uh, and then next week, I'll talk about where we, you know, how we started and, and where we are today. But I thought for today's message, just in case you're not here next week, I thought for today's message... I'll take you backwards in history, starting with today. We are inside Trinity Lutheran Church. This is technically Madison Church Near East. I didn't pick up on it that we moved out of the Isthmus area uh, until like six months after we had moved here. And then we updated all the language online, but we we're like, oh no, we, we, this is Madison Church Near East. We're no longer Madison Church Isthmus. We, we hope that someday we'll have another location, Madison Church Isthmus, uh, but this was last March we moved in, so we've almost been here a year. Prior to that, when we were on the Isthmus, we had met a few years inside a church that was on Jennifer Street. Now, this was cool at the time when we were talking about planting, because it was kind of this old-school, one-room church, and we thought people on the Isthmus, like, we don't have to worry too much about child care, really, or kids' ministries. We're going to have a lot of single adults in, in, in the area going to school, and, and that was great. But then uh, four months later was March 2020. So we had just spent all this money and all these resources, opened up this downtown, uh, we were calling it at the time, downtown location. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like, well, this bites. And we shut down voluntarily for, for almost for a year. I think a minimum was a year we shut down voluntarily, went online only. And then when we came back, we couldn't go back to the West Side, which is where we had all of our kids. We had nursery, elementary, we had all these different kid rooms. And so then we're in this one room house with a ton of kids, you know, screaming, hollering in the basement. It, it wasn't great. It wasn't great post-pandemic, but we made it work until we moved here. Prior to that, just before opening our Isthmus location, we had actually opened up an online site. That was in the summer of 2019. So long before, long before the pandemic ever hit, we were already thinking like we want to be in this digital space. We want to have a place where like you're checking out Madison Church and you want to know what kind of weirdo these guys are or the pastor. Like I got to hear him talk a little bit. We're going to put all of that out there and be very transparent about it. And show of hands, how many of you watched a YouTube video or listened to a message before you ever visited? Yeah, that's about half. Right. All right. So that was good. Yeah. So that was that was part of what we did. We said we we think it'll be less intimidating if you get to watch us talk. And and also the flip side of that is if you don't like it, you just hit next, right? You don't have to like get up and walk out in the middle of a service. <laughs> right. I know how you guys think, because that's how I think too. And like, oh no, not for me. And why were we doing that? Well, it was because we had this West Side, and the West Side location was doing good. It was healthy. We we overcome some things over the few years before that. And we said, hey, part of our vision, and we got this nice little vision map. Uh, this is the vision. This is what we want to see. We want to see 10 micro locations throughout the city of Madison. And as I mentioned, we're near east now as, as we have divvied up uh, Madison. And uh, ideally, we'll could, as we continue to grow and reach our city and contribute and give back, this is what it'll look like someday in the future. You'll go to madisonchurch.com, and right now where we have two locations, it's near east and online. Someday when you go to our website, there'll be 10 boxes up there. I don't know how we'll make it look good. We'll, at that point, probably need to hire someone who can do it well. Uh, right now, I'm our web developer. But um, yeah, well, it'll be amazing. And so that is the vision. But what you may not know, I want to go back up one step further, is that we started here in our two-bedroom, one-bathroom 
apartment. I moved here in March of 2014. Didn't know anyone. Put on Facebook, hey, we're moving to Madison to start a church. If any of my friends know anyone in Madison, make an introduction. Who? And I did. The first person we ever met was Anthony. He's actually in the blue shirt that says caring right there. First person I ever met. He's also the first person we baptized at this church. He's a good friend of mine. Today, we mostly uh, text back and forth during Packer games because we're both very cynical. We're, we're the worst Packer fans ever. I mean, we'll complain about everything. Even if it's good, we're complaining. That's how Anthony and I are. But um, we, we just said, hey, we don't need a location. We're going we're gonna to meet in our apartment. But eventually, as we kept inviting people, we didn't really have a website. But as you can see, like, I mean, over the summer, from March to middle of summer, we're like, hey, we're, we're starting to reach some new people. There's some people who uh, aren't in this picture, who were in the other picture, who are still part of our church community. But we're like, okay, well, uh, the thing was, in the summer, you can meet outside in Madison, Wisconsin. That's fine. Like, we could do that. But as you know, if you walk from a car today or from your apartment in today, like meeting outside was not going to be an option. The window was shutting for us, quite literally. And so that's when we decided to open up that West location. And so circles are very important to Madison Church. We started as a circle. And circles is what we're referring to as your close-knit circle of friends, the people around you who you, you do life with, your family, your friends, perhaps it's a coworker, perhaps it's a neighbor. But this church started off as a small group. We're still a small group in a different way, but we literally started off with just a couple of us hanging out at a coffee shop, then moving to my apartment so we could incorporate music. Uh, we weren't sure if Starbucks would really like it if we brought a couple of guitars and just started jamming out in the middle of their cafe on a Sunday morning. But uh, that's how we started. And Madison Church, I mean, small groups and circles are so important to us. I want it's part of our strategy. You can go to the website and say, what's the strategy of Madison Church? We literally have Eat Together on the website. I, I don't think I've ever heard or seen yet of another church that puts on their website that part of the strategy is eating together. There's strategies for reading the Bible and praying. We have those too, absolutely. But we put on there, we want you to eat together. And what do we do? We host a free community lunch every month. And then almost anytime we get together, there's food. And there's always leftover food. And we're always begging people to take food. We even have like to-go boxes in storage because that's how, how much food we always have. We, some, we also put it in our bylaws, speaking of membership next week, like for people to be a member at our church, we say you have to be involved in at least one small group a year if you want to retain membership at our church. So when we're drafting our bylaws, we're a new church, we can say anything. And we said, you know how important small groups are going to be? You could lose your membership if you don't get in a group. That's how serious it was. Now, we've never ever, we, I want to be on the record online too. We've never removed anyone from membership. <laughs> uh, usually when by the time you decide to become a member of Madison Church, you're like, this is a good cultural fit. I want to be involved in a circle. Circles aren't just important to our church, though. I know that circles are important to you, too. Think about some of the most meaningful moments in your life. Where did they happen? Around a kitchen table, mom, dad, with kids, on a road trip, at a restaurant, coffee shop, in your dorm room. Some of the most meaningful times in your life have happened in a circle. I can vividly remember when God called me to start a church. It was in my dorm room talking to my friend Chris while he was playing Pokemon. No joke. <laughs> a pirated version at that. Uh, sorry to out you, Chris. I've never mentioned that part of the story. I had to throw something new out there. But God's intention has always been to bless us uniquely through circles through small communities, through one-on-ones, through our small groups, through family get-togethers, friends. That's always been God's desire and design for us. We are made for community, for relationships. You're never made or meant to live life alone. You certainly aren't meant to follow Jesus by yourself. 
And yet, there has been a tendency, we cannot deny this, it's historically, we can point to several different points and things that we say, and yet, there's a tendency to do faith alone in the United States for more than 100 years, more or less 100 years. It's the language of my personal salvation, my walk with Jesus, and I'm all for personal accountability and responsibility. At the end of the day, I can only control Stephen Feith and, and make sure that I'm following Jesus to the best of my ability. But oftentimes when we say that, it's used to justify why I'm not involved in a circle, why I don't have other believers as friends. I don't make time to do that when we're talking about it. It's, it's a justification. Now, the thing is, faith was never meant to be a single-player game. It was never meant to be a single-player sport. There's such an emphasis. Over 70 times in the New Testament, there's a command in which God is speaking to people through people, a command. He says, one another, a command involving one another. Well, if you don't have one another, if there's not, you're not in community, you don't have a circle or a small group, you don't have a friend, then you can't do over 70 of the commands that God wants us to do. Why? It takes another person. And so the message of the New Testament is clear. Like, not only were you wired for community, you can't live and do all the things that God wants you to do by yourself. And that's why our current study is so important that we put into practice, that we don't just talk about circles, that we don't just talk about relationships the last two weeks, the next two weeks. We don't just talk about it, but that we actually do what we're talking about. Because for your faith to thrive, for my faith to thrive, for our souls to thrive, we got to have a faith that exists between Sundays. We have to have a faith that lasts and is more than just an hour on Sundays. And so I know that these talks have been challenging the last couple of weeks. I've been watching them and I know today is going to be challenging, but what I've been praying is for you. I've been praying for you and that these talks move you to action. And I believe that if they transform each of us and we all take our own step toward circles, toward communities, that it'll also transform the city of Madison. Our mission at Madison Church is to connect people with God and each other, and we will simply not accomplish the mission that God has for us in one hour a week on Sundays. We have to get together between the Sundays gathering, which is not to discredit the time that we have today. I mentioned last week, let's get that right. What happens on Sunday morning is incredibly powerful, can be incredibly powerful, even it can be incredibly powerful, even as imperfect as it can be at times. And you know, that's me stuttering, talking about imperfections. There it is. Even though it's imperfect at times, this, pow- this hour is powerful. God has shown up. He has shown off at these gatherings. And it was while in my own life, God called me to start a church in a dorm room. It was in a space like this that I first found Jesus. And it's in a space like this I decided to follow Jesus. So I, I want you to think both and this morning. I need this space, but I also need my group. I need my friends. I need my spiritual family when I'm not here as well. Once you're anchored into a Sunday morning, Gathering, being a part of a circle is just as important as reading your Bible. Being a part of a circle is just as important as praying. It's not controversial to say that. We see that in the New Testament. That's what they did. They didn't just dedicate themselves to prayer, but also to getting together. And I also want to point out, though, that your circle doesn't just exist as something for you to consume. I think the last two weeks we've been talking about signing up and showing up, and we've taken it through the angle of you getting involved. And I don't want you to think, though, that a circle is just for me to consume. This is just for me. I'm going to go in there and just get what I need out of it. That's not how a circle is meant to be. Your circle, your friends, your community is meant to be a conduit to bring God's blessing to the world all around you, which, of course, is a lot easier said than done. 
Sometimes we love our present relationship so much, our current stage and age and life, that we love where we're at and our circle, that we don't want to mess with it. Well, what if I invite someone to be a part of my group? What if I invite someone to church? What if I invite someone to coffee with a friend? And then that totally ruins the magic that we have. And so we say, no, nah, I, I would rather not. That's a scarcity mindset. And so often... I don't know if it's an American thing. I think it's just a people thing, but we have scarcity mindsets. It's I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. And we begin to think that if I invite someone else in my circle, then perhaps I'll have less friends, which actually doesn't make sense because if you invite someone into your circle, numerically speaking, you have more friends. I get those feelings too from time to time, but the way that I fight them is by reminding myself that I was once an outsider as well. I was somebody who, before ever going to a dorm, before ever making a decision to follow Jesus before I'd ever come into a place where I could even experience Jesus, somebody invited me. Somebody said, hey, why don't you be part of my circle? Why don't you come to youth group on Wednesday night with me? So when I feel like, ooh, do I want to invite someone? I remember how it changed my life that somebody took the risk and invited me. And there are people around you today who you're like, if I would just extend the invitation, that could be the step that changes their life. So let's not be hesitant about being inclusive. Let's be inclusive. Let's make the invites and include people in our lives. These feelings of hesitation to expand our circles is something that the early church dealt with too. Don't just think that that's a modern day problem in, in Madison, tech, uh, Wisconsin. Don't think it's because of all the technology we have that like we don't want to expand our circles or that our circles tend to be very large and uh, not very deep. But this was a problem the early church dealt with as well. We've been talking about the first disciples and what they did after Jesus ascended into heaven. We keep bringing up Acts 2.42, which reads, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They had a devotion to not just teaching and, and reading the Bible that they had at the time, not just to sharing in meals uh, with communion, not just to praying, but they dedicated themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to companionship with one another. They committed their lives to spiritual friendship. And that's the end of the story, right? It's not. If you want to follow along with me today, we're going to go to Acts 10. We're going to show that even though this Jesus movement is just getting started, his followers have gone off and they're, and they're doing great things. Thousands of people are finding and following Jesus because of them. We're going to see that there's at some point, they ask the question, do we include them? Do we expand the circle? Does that mess it up? And so the words will be on the screen as well, but we're going to Acts chapter 10. And we read, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Now, if you keep reading, you're going to find out a lot about Cornelius in this moment. Uh, he's a God-fearing man, we're told. He's generous. He treats the poor well. He's devoted to prayer. And then we find out that because he's such an upstanding, uh, God-fearing person, that God sends an angel to go speak to him. And that angel instructs Cornelius, who's not Jewish, okay? He's not Jewish. He, the angel says, Cornelius, send a couple people to find this guy named Peter. Here's the town he's in. That's where you're going to be able to find him. And so that's what Cornelius does. He sends a couple guys to find Peter. Now, don't get confused. This Peter is that Peter. 
one of Jesus' closest 12 friends, one of the people who was in Jesus' circle, the guy who gets out of the boat and walks on water for a moment before he freaks out. It's the Peter who denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed his friend the most. It is that Peter. It's the Peter who gives the first presentation of the gospel in Acts 2, in which we see thousands of people turn to faith in Jesus. It's this Peter. And Cornelius says, all right, I'll send a couple of my servants to find him. But what is Peter doing when Cornelius sends his workers? Well, that's where the story starts to get good and weird. Peter is on a flat roof praying. And it's noon, and Luke, who writes Acts, says Peter is so hungry. It's midday. He is so hungry that he goes into a trance. Any of you guys get hangry? Have any of you been so hungry that you went into a trance? Well, that's what happened to Peter. And Peter has a vision of all of these animals that he's not supposed to eat because he's Jewish. Open up Leviticus and look at all of the food he is not supposed to eat. And he has this trance in which all of these animals are coming to him. It makes sense. He's starving, right? Anything sounds good right now. You say something like, I could eat a horse. Could you really eat a horse? Or are you just saying that's how hungry you are? So he has this dream and there's all of these animals. And there's a voice in the dream that says, go ahead, Pete, pick one, kill one, eat one. Peter's like, no, no, this, it's a trap. Is kind of what he's thinking. It's a trap. No way. No, I'm Jewish. We have these rules. I cannot eat. And the voice says, don't call something unclean that I have called clean. Peter wakes up from his trance. He's very confused. Is he allowed to have the milkshake with bacon now? Like he's, he doesn't know what to do. What did this mean um, at all? And right around the time he's coming out of the trance, we see that Cornelius's men find him. Peter uh, agrees to go with Cornelius's men to meet Cornelius. He gets in there to meet Cornelius. And you might be thinking, well, of course Peter went with them. It's Peter. He's already done enough messing up for a lifetime. So of course he's going to do this. No. In his own words, in Acts 10, 28, this is what Peter says to Cornelius. You notice against the laws, our laws, for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or even associate with you. How is that for starting a presentation of the gospel? I just want you to know right from the get-go, I shouldn't be here. It's against the rules. It's against our laws. But God has shown me that I no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Aha, it makes sense. Peter says the trance, the dream, the things that I have deemed unclean, the things that I've said we need to keep away from us. It makes sense now that God was saying that this is what it means. I'm to reach out to the people who it's against the law that I do. I'm supposed to reach out to the people who I shouldn't even be in their home. I shouldn't associate with them. I shouldn't even be seen with them. Well, kind of like Jesus did a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's like this light bulb is going off in Peter's head. I'm starting to get it now. And it was in spite of these hesitations that Peter is there. And what I love about this story is that there was nothing that would keep Peter from expanding his circle. It wasn't like call Cornelius. It wasn't text message Cornelius. It wasn't FaceTime, Zoom Cornelius. This was Peter. You literally have to travel to another region to meet and talk with Cornelius. And Peter says, well, I'll clear my calendar. And this wasn't like hopping on a jet or getting in a car. This would have been traveling by foot. Peter goes on to talk to Cornelius and his entire household about Jesus. He says, this is what God promised in the Old Testament, and this is how it happened in real life. Jesus was born. He lived this perfect life for us. He died on the cross, as many of you heard. But what you may not have heard is that he, ascent, he, he rose from the dead, and then he talked with us for a little bit longer, and then he ascended into heaven, and anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. 
their reaction is that they're all baptized, the entire house. They hear this presentation of the gospel, and they are all baptized, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkable turn of events, and naturally, word spreads about the experience, that these Gentiles, this Cornelius, Peter went and talked to him. And wait, wait a second, as the apostles back home, the other believers who are Jewish would say, wait a second, Cornelius, the Gentile, the non-Jewish guy, Peter was talking to him, Peter went to his house, and so they criticized him. This is all in Acts. We were starting to get into chapter 11, and we're just starting to criticize Peter. And despite the evidence that God was at work, right? People got baptized. Despite the evidence that people were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that they spoke in tongues. They criticized Peter. They said, hey, Peter, we even heard that you had the pork chops because we'd read at the end of chapter 10 that Peter shares a meal with them. So they said, Peter, we know you were eating unclean food with unclean people. Have you lost your mind? And Peter tells them the whole story. Guys, I was, I was hangry. I was on the roof praying, starving to death. I have this weird vision. And no, I wasn't like smoking or anything like before the vision. Just, just happened. Totally got thing. And in the dream, I argued with God. I told God, I can't eat that. I can't eat the shrimp. You told me not to. I'm not going to do it. And God said, no, Peter, don't use my word against me. I'm telling you now. That's old covenant. This is new covenant. Peter says, okay. So I went because you know God told me to go. And, and then this was the evidence of it. And then when the other Jewish believers hear this, the other apostles, in verse 18, they say, well, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting for their sins and receiving eternal life. They're like, okay, it's cool. That sounds fair. And we see that this is now the ripple effect. These guys were the first Gentile believers under the new covenant. And now how, I mean, not a show of hands, but if you're non-Jewish here today, if you're non-Jewish, this is our spiritual heritage. This is the ripple effect. Where did faith for the of new cup, faith under the new covenant for Gentiles come from? It came from Peter, meaning Cornelius. Can you imagine maybe how our lives would be different if Peter never went? Like maybe we wouldn't be believers here today. Maybe Christianity would be a strictly Jewish faith. Maybe. Those are things to think about. There are so many reasons that Peter had to not expand his circle, including the success that he had already had. Peter was already having success with Jewish folks and then converting them to Christianity. And we are living in the ripple effect of that blessing. And so today I want to ask you the question, what's keeping you from expanding your circle? What keeps you from expanding your commercial? Two weeks ago, Sarah challenged you to sign up. She said, hey, there's small groups, there's courses, sign up. Last week, I said, sign up, get in a course, get in a group. But the second thing was now you got to show up. Like You can't just sign up. I know that's the first step. We're going to sign up. We're there. We did that thing. But now we got to show up. And if you couldn't show up for a small group, right, you can't sign up. I said, there were still multiple ways. Look around you, ask someone for coffee, ask someone for a drink, ask someone to go to brunch, ask someone to come over and watch the NFL playoffs with you. I don't know, do whatever you want to do, but show up. And today I want to ask you to step up. Who do you need to include in your circle? As I ask you that, is there a name that comes to mind, someone you work with, a neighbor, a family member, a friend? a name, a face? Is there someone that you need to call up this week and invite into this space? Or just for coffee? Who do you need to just talk with? Maybe someone that you haven't made the time for to even talk, to hear their story, where they're from, and what they're passionate about. Maybe it's just a matter of making time 
this week. It could be as simple as inviting someone over to do something that you were already going to do. You're probably going to have dinner this week. Why not include someone with it? It doesn't have to be different or special. You're probably going to watch Netflix this week. Why not invite someone over to watch that movie with you? What I want you to begin to think of is those things aren't not important, but those things are profoundly spiritual. Remember, as we began, just as important as praying and just as important as reading the Bible are our relationships with other believers. So what's the most spiritual thing you could probably do on a Wednesday night? Go have coffee with a friend. Go have coffee with another believer. Go have coffee with someone that God has put on your heart. But I know that that will require you to step up. And so that's the challenge this week is to step up. Last week, I ended with a question about how your life would be different if your mom and dad, mom or dad were involved in a circle. I asked, I said, how would your life be different? If your parents weren't involved in a circle, weren't involved in Christian community, weren't involved in a small group, if they weren't involved at all, how would your faith be stronger today if they had been? And the flip side of that question was, you know, if your mom and dad hadn't been, let's say they were, but they hadn't been, how would your faith be weaker today because of it? I mentioned right then and there, you know, you can't change the past, only the present and the future. And so the encouragement was for you to change your own life. But today I want you to begin to think about changing someone else's. Maybe no one ever invited your mom or dad to a circle. Maybe nobody ever took the challenge to step up, to reach out, to include them. Maybe it was never offered. Break that trend this week. Don't let that continue to go on. You can make a difference in someone else's life this week simply by stepping up and extending your circle. Like I said, maybe no one did that for your parents, but maybe you can do that for someone else's parents, even if they don't have kids. When you expand your circle to include others, you're not just helping them make new friends. You are giving them the chance to meet Jesus. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're salt and light of the world. And so it doesn't have to be this big throwdown argument over theology or Bible or any of those things. But as you're the salt and light of the world, as you follow Jesus, there will be things about your, your life. Maybe that's your compassion, the way that you love them, that they'll say, why are you the way you are? Why are you different? And when you do this, when you expand your circle, you're showing them a love that they won't find anywhere else. You're showing them a hope that'll get them through life's difficult circumstances. You're showing them that there is healing from the past. The things that happened in the past don't have to define you. And better yet, you don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's healing in the God I believe in. And that there's a purpose that for your future that can bring you immense meaning, not just for your life or your family's life, but those all around you. So in a world full of closed circles, and let's admit the world has a lot of closed circles, a lot of groups that we're not allowed to be a part of, and, and sometimes that's the attractiveness of some groups, is that not everyone can be in it, but I'm in it. In Christianity, at Madison Church, we should be the most open circle in Madison, Wisconsin. So let's collectively step up and make that decision. Let's pray.